Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. The 2023 Merriam-Webster Word of the Year was the word authentic. Authentic, right? And that's a word that just we just love. We love authenticity. There's something magnetic about someone who is authentic, who is true to themselves. Right? There's, there's no pretending, there's no falsehood, there's no uh, fakeness. It's like we, we see it and we resonate with it. We, we love authenticity. And in the age of artificial intelligence and questions about authenticity, this was one of the most searched words, in fact, the most searched word on their website. And uh, it said this on their website, that celebrities like Lainey Wilson, Sam Smith, and Taylor Swift all made headlines in 2023 with statements about seeking their authentic voice and their authentic self. And I guess people heard that, and they're like, huh, what does authentic mean? And it means this, not false or imitation. Not false or imitation. It also went on to say in the the, the article that authenticity is what brands, social media influencers, and celebrities aspire to be, that people are aspiring to be authentic, and it's big business. Meaning if if your brand is authentic, People will spend money there. And and here's what they said. Um, Ironically, with authentic content creators now recognized as the gold standard for building trust, authenticity has become a performance. Wow. I was thinking about Christmas time. And we are uh, in a season that the church has been celebrating since the uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Every year they were talking about the birth of Jesus, the, the oldest recorded evidence that we have of Advent being celebrated in a church, I think was in the fourth century. So churches have been doing this for centuries and centuries and centuries, and yet the, the message of hope and joy and peace and light and in gift giving has kind of been taken off of or, or, or has been removed from the, the, the authentic Christian story and it's kind of been papered onto consumerism and commercialism, all the things that we can celebrate as a culture. But you know, the authentic Advent message was not only about Christ coming as a baby in Bethlehem, but it's what Jason talked about in our first song. It's about the returning king. And today, I, I want to talk about that, but it's one of those messages that just feels like a little bit like, here's, we're, we're all going this way, and now pastor's going this way. It's like, how, how does this connect? You know, um, I, I think of the, the songs of the season, and there's an old Burl Ives song called Holly Jolly Christmas, right? Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year, right? Say hello to friends you know, 
and have a cup of cheer. And I'm just picturing you guys driving to church and maybe that song comes on, holly jolly Christmas, it's the best time of the year. And then you walk into church on a Sunday during Advent and the pastor stands up and says, it's all gonna burn, folks. Merry Christmas, right? So you're like, huh, wow, okay. Like, so the, Christmas is, is, is a mixed bag in a sense. The, the Advent story, it's, it's a whole story. And today I wanna talk about the second coming of Jesus as our brothers and sisters have done for centuries and centuries. We're, we're gonna be in 2 Thessalonians chapter one. If you have a copy of scripture, turn there with me. But this is the authentic message of Christmas. It's simply this. Because Christ came at Christmas, you can know he's coming again. The first coming of Jesus, it guarantees the second coming. And and this is what we celebrate in the authentic message. And so if we could take the the hope and the joy and the peace and the light and the gift giving, if we could just sort of like pull that off of the commercialism and and the consumerism and put it back around this, this true story, if we could get back to the authentic meaning, then I think we'll discover it's hope in the face of what? Peace because of what? Love be, because of what? Gift giving because why? Right? It brings us back into the authentic message. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter one, get ready, okay? We're gonna look at the second coming of Jesus. And I'll just let you know a little bit about this church This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians. They have heard that they missed the day of the Lord. They're having FOMO, all right? They're afraid they missed out on the day and they're hearing reports of like, Jesus already returned. Like, what does that mean for us? Like, are we still in? Like, should we even gather anymore? Should should we even follow Jesus if he's already like come and gone and all that kind of stuff? So they're, they're confused. And Paul is trying to give them some insight, some understanding to know how this is all going to happen. And I'm, I'm gonna pick up in verse three of 1 Thessalonians chapter one. Here's what he says. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches. Paul's like a proud Papa, he, he sees the authentic faith in these people and he loves it and he's encouraging them. He goes on about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. So we're learning something else about this people that they are enduring affliction and persecution. And in the face of that, they're wondering, have we missed it? Verse five. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul writing to a church that has some FOMO about the day of the Lord. They're worried that they have missed it. They're going through trial. They're going through affliction. And he gives them some insight about the second coming of our Lord. And I just want us to spend a few moments this morning connecting this with this authentic message of Christmas. Because of his first coming, we know. He's coming again. In verse 10, he uses this phrase, on the day when he comes. Now, if you uh, have been paying attention to the, the environmental conversation that's going on in the world for the last, oh, I don't know, 50 years probably, you probably know that there are summits happening where people that lead nations are coming together trying to figure out like, how do we keep this thing from burning up, basically, right? And in all of that, there's a sense of like, we can avoid this. If we all work together, if we stop, you know, polluting the world, we can avoid this. And here's what I want to say. When it comes to the day of the Lord, you cannot avoid this. Amen? No summit that comes together is like, how do we stop sinning so that we have more time here, right? Guess what? The Lord, just as he came the first time in a world that was not prepared for him, he will come again to a world that is not prepared for him. It is unavoidable. Jesus is coming back. And so if you're concerned about the direction that the world is going right now, <laughs> if you're wondering how this will all play out, if you're wondering where this will all end up, you can know with certainty that it will end with the second coming Jesus. That's the end of the story. Read the very last verse of the Bible. Behold, I'm coming soon. Jesus is returning. The thing is, we just don't know when he's returning. I read a story this week from the New York Times. It was an article from 2011. And there was a man by the name of Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a Bible scholar who studied the Bible, loved the Bible, and he figured out, amazingly, when the world was going to end, exactly when it was going to end. It was the first uh, time was in 1988. He said, the world's going to end in 1988. But there was a possibility that it might happen in 1992. So he wrote a book, I'm sorry, 1994. So he wrote a book called 1994, question mark. But that didn't happen. And this time, third time's a charm, he knew for certain and if we would show that uh, billboard for me, Zach, May 21st, 2011, which means we missed it, guys. <laughs> We're like the Thessalonians. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and in the article, 
he was adamant. Oh, it is so clear in the Bible. I've, I've studied, it's so clear. I know without a doubt. And what happened is his followers emptied their bank accounts. <laughs> I mean, they're like, well, we're about to get sucked out of this place, man. Jesus is coming. And guess what? We're still here. And scripture says that nobody knows the day or the hour. In fact, Harold Camping, thankfully, in March of 2012, issued a statement to his followers, humbly acknowledging that his critics were right and that the Bible was true, that no one would know the day or the hour that on 6 p.m. on May 21st, 2011, was not the time when Jesus would return. We don't know when, but we do know that there will be a day when. There will be a day when. It's secured by the first coming of Jesus. And what Paul tells us is that the, the how of the coming will be a little bit different than the first one. You see, the first one, Jesus comes humbly. He comes to, to a, an unknown virgin. But we knew prophetically that Jesus would be born of a virgin. We, we knew that hundreds of years before Jesus came. And we knew that he'd be born in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was a small town and all that was prophesied. We talked about that last week when all these things were pointing forward to Jesus. But this one's gonna be different. You see, the first time there were some shepherds and a few magi that knew what was going on, but this time everyone is going to know. In fact, he told us in the passage that at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, meaning like this is gonna be a massive public display. There will be no question of, did we miss it? Like, you will know that Jesus has come, and it will be a triumphant return. But I want us to consider this morning, as we think about the authentic Christmas, what does it mean? Like, what does the second coming of Jesus mean for us? And Paul uses three terms. The, the terms that he uses is justice, relief, and glory. And I want to talk about those three terms, justice, relief, and glory. The first one is this, because Christ came at Christmas, authentic justice is coming. Uh, we had a conversation with a pastor in India several months ago. He was here visiting, and they have been enduring in his particular part of India, incredible affliction and persecution. The word persecution simply means to suffer for your faith. And persecution can take many, many, many forms. It could be uh, the loss of a relationship because of your faith in Christ. It could be the loss of financial gain, the loss of a job, the, the, the loss of your reputation. The, there, there's many ways that we can be persecuted, but their persecutions have been very flagrant and very uh, violent. The uh, authorities in their in their area basically had Hindu mobs that were coming to them saying like, these people are blaspheming. They, they are spreading a false message and they got all stirred up and angry and the local authorities gave them weapons and then turned to look away. And what they did is they burned the homes of believers. I mean, imagine if you went home today and your house was in flames because you were at church worshiping God today. I mean, imagine that. And so these families, their, their churches are literally finding places in the woods where they can just try to camp safely somewhere. He uh, said that they were marching their women naked through the streets. 
He showed me a picture of, of a Christian woman who's naked on the ground and she's laying on the ground and on her head is a man's boot proudly pinning her to the ground. And what I want to say to you is this, justice is coming. Justice is coming. The local authorities can turn their, their eye away from what's happening, but there is one who never turns away. And when we talk about justice, we have a, some mixed feelings because he uses some, some things here that feel harsh to us. In verse six, he says that it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And that feels harsh to us here that maybe aren't having our wives march through the street naked. But I imagine that when believers are having that happen to them, that they might receive that truth just a little bit differently than us. He's not talking about the affliction of that annoying family member at Christmas time. You feel afflicted, right? No, that's not what he's talking about. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul tells us, all, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Meaning, I don't know what suffering you will have to bear for the name of Jesus, but if you want to live a, a sold out, heart on fire, life for Jesus, I can guarantee you, you are going to suffer for it. And I just want you to know that justice is coming. Um, justice means that every wrong will, will be made right. It means that the ones who can get away with injustice today will not get away with it forever. Some of you are justice warriors. You're like, the, the thought of somebody doing something wrong and then getting away with it, it just makes you crazy. When you go to the store and someone pulls into the handicapped space and they walk in perfectly fine, and there's something in you that's like, somebody stop them, right? You just want to like alert the authorities at the grocery store. Someone's parked in the handicapped spot and they're truly not handicapped, okay, right? You're just justice-minded. And I just want you to know like justice is coming. In verse eight, he says that when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that word vengeance is where we get our word for revenge, it's to retaliate for an injustice. And did you know that Christians are never to, to take revenge on somebody? Do you, do you, do you know that? In, in Romans 12, Paul told us to never repay evil for evil. Never. And here was his reasoning. Because vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And you and I, when something happens to us, um, there's that other verse that says there's no one righteous, no, not even one, which means that our perception of justice can be a little bit off sometimes, and we want to retaliate because they were wrong, we were right, and then as you get a little bit wiser, you realize maybe I was a little wrong too, right? So we're never to take revenge because vengeance belongs to the Lord, and he says, I will repay, but here's what he says instead. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Meaning, we can trust. We can be mistreated today knowing that God's gonna sort it out in the end. We can be merciful today because we know that God will sort it out in the end. Authentic justice is coming. And maybe the scariest part of this whole passage in verse nine, he says, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. That's hard to hear. It feels a little uh, not holly jolly to say that on a microphone at church. But what he's talking about is final judgment, a literal hell. And it's the clear, repeated teaching of the Bible that God will come and Jesus will return and he will come with justice and that justice will include judgment and that judgment will be perfectly just. And what that should do to us is not be like, get him, God. But it's literally to say, oh, but for the grace of God, that would be me. It should move our hearts with compassion for people far from Christ. It should fuel our urgency for the message, the real message of Christmas, that justice is coming. The, the second word that he uses is the word relief. The word relief. Just, just say, ah, with me. Just, ah, that was terrible. Ah, relief. The second coming of Jesus is not just fire and brimstone, but he says it's actually relief. In verse seven, he says that he's going to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. That Greek word, it means relaxation, ease, liberty, rest. It has a sense of releasing tension. So I don't know if you guys have a bow and arrow in your house. Maybe you have a bow hunter in your family, or maybe you just remember you know, playing with a bow when you're a kid. But it's like this picture of, if you have a bow you know, and, and you have that string on there, there's a tension on it like at all times, right? And so if you could picture the, the feeling of this word is that you, would, um, that you would loosen that string in such a way that the, the bow would go back to its original shape, right? It's a loosing of tension. There's, there's a relief that's coming and it's coming for everyone who has placed their hope in Jesus. And I, I don't know that you and I can fathom the kind of release that's coming with the second coming of Jesus. I mean, there's something relieving about knowing that relief is coming, right? If you've ever had a big vacation coming up, and even though you're like maybe in the thick of it at work, you're like, but in two weeks, we're on the beach, right? Relief is coming. My, my wife's a first-year teacher. She has 165 students, and, uh, and she's finishing her certification. She's got all kinds of craziness going on in her life. And whenever there's a break coming, like Christmas break, there's just a sense of like, I can make it, right? Kids, if you're ready for Christmas break, you're taking finals, but you're like, but after this final, 
It's over, right? There's, it, there's relief knowing that relief is coming. And friends, relief is coming. And authentic relief is coming with the second coming of Jesus. The, the third word that he uses is glory. Glory. Verse 10, he says, on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. In verse 12, he says that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him. Glory is one of those words that's kind of hard to describe. It's hard to define. What is glory? It's, um, some have called it a, a weightiness. A, other words are praise, honor. I, I like this distinction, a state of exaltation, something that's marked by beauty and splendor. It's distinguished by excellence. And when Jesus returns, there's just going to be this almost like a knee-jerk, immediate, just like, oh, glory. We're, we're going to glorify him. I, I think of uh, if you've ever seen a powerful performance, right, or, or maybe a film, and you've been in a theater in this, like, powerful film, and at the end, the people that would normally just, like, walk out during the credits, they all stand up, and they're like, yeah, standing ovation, right? It's a picture of glory, that when, when Jesus comes, it, it'll be the coming of glory, and we're going to stand, it's like a standing ovation of just like, ah, oh, you're so awesome. And then Paul, he includes this little phrase in verse 12, and you by him, you by him. Have you ever thought about that before? That we're gonna glorify God, and then in some sense, there's gonna be a glory that God points out in us. What is that? Jesus has a, a famous parable called the parable of the talents. I won't tell you the parable. But there's a phrase in it that he repeats to the faithful stewards, and it was this, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come enter the joy of your master. If... Justice means that no evil thing will go unnoticed. Then this passage means that no godly thing will go unnoticed. Jesus said, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Which is really cool to think that in the glorifying of Jesus, that we in some sense will be glorified with him. And if you have done godly things quietly, and maybe you felt like nobody even notices, I just want you to know, God notices. Glory is coming in authentic glory. So he, he, he tells us that it's, it's going to be this, this um, authentic justice, this authentic relief, this authentic glory that's coming and that this is secured for us because of Christ's first coming. And I know it does feel a little bit odd to talk about this in a holly jolly Christmas, but Christians over the centuries have drawn authentic hope 
because our future is justice and our future is relief and our future is glory because our future is Christ. And what I want us to end with today is what do you do with that today? I, uh, I remember my first real job working for a church that was large enough that they had developed a whole retirement plan. And here I am, I'm like, you know, 21 years old. And they're like, we have a retirement plan. I'm like, who cares, right? It's like, you're just not even thinking that way yet. And all, all you know is like, you just make this much money and then that, uh, some of that goes away out of my paycheck every month. And you're like, wow, oh my gosh, right? But the point was that there was things that you could do now that would prepare you for what was inevitably going to come. And if you do something now, when the day comes, you won't freak out, right? And what Paul points out in them is really beautiful because what he points to is the authentic life of Jesus in them. He, he used these phrases. In verse three, he said, it was flourishing faith. Your, your faith is flourishing. That, that word flourishing, it's, it's, this, it's this beautiful, super abundant kind of word. It's like, it's just, it's just growing. It's like my, uh, my children, I, I, I've been looking at the refrigerator door where we keep all of our old Christmas cards. And, and I'm just looking like, gosh, that feels like yesterday. And they were just like this. And now they're like this. And they're big stinky boys now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, they're, they're flourishing. They're growing. It's, it's like a weed. That's what he's saying. Like, your faith is growing like a weed. Like, it, it's amazing. It's increasing beyond measure. He says this about them. I, I see your increasing love for one another. By the way, I don't think that was just a, a, a warm, cozy feeling they had when they were with each other. I'm sure they did have those feelings, but it was that they were actually putting that love into action. They, they were doing things for one another. They were supporting and caring for each other in really small, practical ways. They had increasing love. The third thing he points to is their patient endurance in verse four. That, that in the midst of all the struggle and the suffering and the affliction and the persecution, they were standing strong. They were bearing up under the weight of all of it. They were suffering well. And then in verse 11, he notices that spirit-empowered work, that they were eager to do something for the Lord, that they, they wanted to take this affection for Jesus and put it into action. And he sees that, and he's like, whoa. That's it. You will be counted worthy. He says it's clear evidence. It's the authenticating proof that you're going to be counted worthy of Jesus because I see Jesus in you. It's the real thing. It's authentic. And here's the thing. What can block that in our lives is this is that we seek our own justice. That we get hurt along the way or something happens to us and instead of choosing forgiveness, we burn up with anger and bitterness 
And we say, I, no, I'm going to get them. I'm going to make sure they pay for this. And if that's our heart, guess what? You're not trusting in the justice of Jesus. And it's going to kill the life of Jesus inside of you. Another way that we can block this authentic life of Jesus in us is that we can seek our own relief. Meaning, when the going gets tough, we go to Tahiti. We escape. We numb out. We run. We dodge responsibility. We, we, we don't take action. When the pressure comes, we just cave. Because we don't trust that there's a God in heaven who's going to give us relief. And if we allow that to take place in us, we will miss the authentic life of Jesus. Another way that we could miss that life is that we could seek our own glory. That we could run after all the stuff the achievements of life, the, the trophies, the successes, the, the perfect family, the perfect house, the perfect whatever. We could go after all the stuff that the world could offer us and we could seek our own glory. We could prove to them that we were worthy. And if we run after it, friends, Jesus said, we'll forfeit our souls we will miss the authentic life of Jesus. And so what I want to call us to today is to truly follow him, that we would be like the original. About 10 years ago, I remember when they released the $100 bill. Do y'all remember that? When they, like the, the, the 100 that we have now came out? The, the, the one before looked like it was made by cavemen compared to the one we have now. Like, it's beautiful. It's got that little ribbon in it. It's got all the, like, the, the, the watermarking. When, they, when you go to the store and they're, like, checking it and they hold it up to the light and they can see, like, the watermark. Like, this is the original thing. And the only way to know if something is fake is that you can compare it to the original, right? And here's the message of Christmas that I want to give to you today is that because Christ came in a manger in Bethlehem, he can absolutely come into your heart. That because Christ can, can pay for your sins on a cross and he can rise from the dead, that he has power enough to turn your life around and actually transform it into an authentic life of Jesus. It's possible. That's actually possible for you. Um... I was reminded this week of an illustration that Tim Keller gave. Tim Keller passed away this year, incredible godly man who uh, I learned so much from. And here's what he said. He said that when you go to an airport and you get on an airplane, there's probably going to be two types of people. There's gonna be one type of person who's like flown a million times. They're like, they don't care. They don't even care about, they don't watch the people giving the like, like, you know, if we 
crash, you know, here's your flotation device. Like they don't pay any attention to that at all, right? Because they are not worried a bit. They are fully confident. Get on the plane, we're gonna get there just fine, no problem. The other kind of person is like the person that's like really nervous about flying, right? And every time the little thing dings, they're like freaking out inside. They're like, a heart jumps a little bit. And they're like, what's going on, right? And the way I was like, the weather is going to be 70 degrees and wonderful when you get it right. And you know, okay, good. You know, that, that sense of that, that nervousness, they're, they're so nervous about flying. And he, here was the point he was making. He said, both people got there. Both people got there. Meaning this. It wasn't about the quality of their faith in the airplane. It's that their faith was in the quality of the airplane. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? Some of you may have been on the fence about Jesus and you're like, I'm nervous. I I have questions still. I'm not totally sure. I mean, I I think I'm, I'm like, yeah, I believe, but I'm not totally sure. And what I want to say is this, get on the plane. Get on the plane. You're going to make it because he's coming back. And you're going to be there on that day because you got on the plane, even if you've been a little bit nervous about it. And if you do, what he's going to do in you, it's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be flourishing faith, increasing love patient endurance and spirit empowered work. Can we be that kind of a church together? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.